Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Thank you for listening to Bluebells Forever podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Lewis. Thank you so much for listening to this, and I hope you're enjoying these stories from these wonderful, wonderful people. And what I have loved is doing the Circle Back series where I get to go back and have more time with these people. I just never have enough time in the interview that you hear. And so part two, we get to go back and hear more and also just find out what they've been doing since we last did the interview. So these are on the Patreon for Patreons only. And the way you become a patron is a subscription each month. And there's an option of $5, which just helps the work to keep going with some of the costs that we have. $10 a month gives you two extra bonus interviews a month. And so far, what we've, I've already had on there is Liz Elliott, Hilary Sukanos, Pete Menifee, Athena Pataxel, Billy Goodson, Alexandra Yaretska, Adrian Lapeltier. And coming up in June, Leslie Bandy and Christopher Nunez. In July, coming up, we have Michelle Brown Jennings. So you have access to all of these episodes that only are for the patrons, and that is by subscribing. So I will put a link in the show notes. So if you are interested in hearing more of these stories and supporting Bluebells Forever, please feel free and enjoy this interview coming up. So today I'm welcoming Joe Loke, Rhymes with Bloke. I always am learning now to ask before I assume how to ever pronounce a name. And you're in the UK, and part of the Lido the uh, Perry Merveille cast that's on hold. And I have loved so much interviewing the dancers and the singers and all that from the show, because I think that you're our special breed. And I feel very connected because of the reunion a couple of years ago and just the stories that I've heard of just what amazingly um, gifted and intelligent and beautiful human. So every time I get to do the new cast, it makes me excited. I love doing the 80 year olds, the 60 year olds, but I love that how broad it is because you have a fresh perspective. You also, I feel like this cast, I'm very impressed with how much you know your history of where, where this all comes from the Lido's history and the Bluebell's history. So again, I'm always just like, I'm, I have total faith that every interview is going to be amazing because you guys are all just incredible people after I've talked to you and like, and I want to gather you into my fold. <laughs> like I was all do a giant show somewhere where our age won't matter. So welcome, Joe. Um, can you just say a little bit where you are now and then sure. where, where you grew up and your circle <laughs> around where all this is? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, so I'm currently in Paris. Um, because we're on hold from the Lido due to coronavirus. Um, but I'm from the UK. Um, I'm from a town called Northamptonshire, which is quite in the countryside, very quiet and very not a lot going on. Um, and I started dancing when I was two, two and a half. I was really lucky because at my primary school, they offered ballet classes at lunchtime. So my mum signed me up. So I used to go and take my ballet class when all the other kids were having their lunch. And then when they'd go outside and play, I'd go and sit inside and eat my lunch. <laughs> and, um, but it was really great. Like it was, I really loved it. And I was really lucky because there was no other girls in my age and on my grade that wanted to do ballet classes. So my whole uh, younger years, I basically had private ballet training, which was amazing. And I think it really helped sort of lock my technique in from 
from a young age, which was amazing. Who is your teacher that would offer something like this? Like, what was her history? Do you know? Because that's like a really interesting thing to offer and to do it if you've got one or two, you know, I'm just really impressed with just a teacher that would do that. Yeah, so we had, um, our ballet teacher was called Mrs. Meeks and um, she was just a local teacher in our town, but she wanted to offer it to kids at school. And then when she retired, because she was a bit of an older lady, it got taken over by Jane Tyler, who has a dance school in my town as well. So when I finished primary school and went to the juniors, I started going to her dance school after school. Um, and yeah, she was just amazing. There's such a giving dance school and really just encouraged growth and just the love of dancing was was really cool and I was so lucky because I only really did ballet as a child I did a little bit of tap but not a lot it was just ballet 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 and she really encouraged me to like go to as many classes at the school like even grades that I wasn't doing yet or she would let me come and take the classes and if I was ready to take an exam and there wasn't a session there, she'd drive me up and down the country to different exam points so I could take them. And so, yeah, she is an amazing teacher and I I'm, I'm really owe her a lot, definitely, in my, uh, in my career. That is, super, that is so beautiful because, yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, you come to me, but when teachers go out and if, the, you know, for one or two students. So were you kind of having your own life aside what other kids were doing? Were you, you know, when you're doing ballet, not having recess and going out with people, you did, was it, I don't want to say lonely, but it was kind of like, this is my path and it doesn't matter if anyone else is on it. Yeah, I guess. I think I just, I was always just so absorbed by it. I just, I don't know. I just felt so great when I was dancing and I just wanted to dance all the time. I don't, I never really remember feeling lonely because I just, I enjoyed it so much. You loved it. Yeah, and even as I got older, like time to come to take my exams and stuff at school, I kind of was like, I did take it seriously, but I kind of knew that I wanted to dance. So I was always just putting most of my time and my energy into that. So, yeah, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But that's no, I think, yeah, I think it's just like everybody's character is so different because I'm when I started at seven, I was a, I was a, kind of a lonely child but it just felt like it was it was so social as I got into high school like we were always in trouble because at the bar we just we would walk over to each other's bar and just start talking I had no we had no idea about etiquette it's just such a bizarre thing like oh I wish I had been more disciplined because I really had to hunker down when I knew if I really want to do this I can't and I like have to tell my friends please don't talk to me I'm here to I really want to get to take it serious but it, for a lot of girls it's kind of a social thing you go into ballet you know, to get grace whatever reasons parents put them in or they show a sign that they're interested but yeah it's, it, somehow this kind of feels like you've got this beautiful cocoon around you to like bring you into this because you know if you're the only one a lot of friends will go I don't want to do it if my friends aren't doing it or I don't want to do it if you know it's not the thing you know that's a fun thing to do just because so there was some something that pulled you in early yeah I guess as well like being on my own in class it was it was good because I was so focused I didn't have any distraction and Mrs Meeks my first ballet teacher she was quite um an older lady at the time and I think from a really young age I just like she was quite a firm teacher and I just really respected her so much from a young age that every other teacher I've had since I just kind of from a really young age had such a high level of respect for all my teachers and really wanted to sort of absorb as much from them as I could and I think I had that mentality quite young um, 
which was really, really cool. Well, because I'm assuming your technique is really great at the fact that you're in the Lido. But like some, I've heard, heard these stories of people in small towns that had these wonderful teachers that were these gems. But it, the assumption is sometimes you go to the city to get the good training. But more and more of the, of the people I've talked to, it was a small town with one teacher that just either they had a professional life and brought it in or they just had good training. Because it, yeah, if you just like, if that was the only way you get good is you have to go into the, like the big, you know, the cities or the, the big suburbs where there's more then so many kids wouldn't have the opportunity sure and I think maybe in those smaller towns like your teachers really invested in you and they really care about what you want to do and helping you get there and it's really nurturing wow that's so good I just know we have so many stories of ballet being brutal you know the tear down to build up and when you hear the stories of, of a nurturing teacher I'm just like I'm sorry but it's just warming my heart because I've been listening to so many interviews and there's so many so many stories of um yeah, putting, putting kids down or the teacher has to deal with their ego before they should ever be teaching. And I have a dance studio that's adults. And I feel like some of our stuff is undoing bad messaging that people have had, that their body is not right, or they're not good enough to make it here. And then they come back in and they have to realize we're, you know, we're here to build them up, not tear them down. But I, I think it's way more common than not. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was, I was really lucky on that front. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I went off on this tangent, but I'm just like, when I hear something like, like Oh, this feels really different. <laughs> did, did she say, I think you could do this or was it just like, this is just for what it is now. And there's nothing like we're training you to be a professional or did you have your sights on that? So when I was young, I was really quite a shy child. And as I got older, I kind of knew inside that I wanted to dance, but I kind of thought, don't know if I'm going to be good enough or maybe I'm too shy and then I thought to myself no because when I'm on stage I don't feel shy and I kind mm. of realized this sort of other side of the coin of my life I guess um, and so when I got to the age of sort of doing my school exams and getting a bit older my dance teacher said to me um, oh you know do you think you would want to go to dance school and I said oh you know yeah, I would love to, but I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. So I sat down with my mom and we talked about it and I decided I'm just going to audition for a whole bunch of dance schools, just try my hardest and, and see. And if I don't get into any, I don't get into any. And if I do, then we can go from there. And I was super lucky because I got a place in every dance school that I applied for, <laughs> which I really wasn't expecting because being from such a tiny countryside town, I really didn't know what the standard was going to be like. And I'd only really done ballet and a bit of tap. So I was fairly like unrounded as a dancer, I guess. But <laughs> lots of people had come and done you know, like jazz and contemporary and commercial and street and all these different things. And I was just there like really balletic. <laughs> mm. um, but I was uh, very lucky and I finally got a place at um, the Erdang Academy in London. And out of all the schools that I auditioned at, I, I just had the best feeling about that one. I really wanted to go there. I had a really great reputation and, and it offered a lot of different styles, a lot of different techniques. And their motto was everyone individual. And I just really liked that because I didn't really want to be made into just like a dancing machine, you know, yeah. everyone's the same. Um, so yeah, when I got off the place there, I took it, which was, um, wonderful and I it's a dance school for dance and musical theater is it like a um is this called like university or yes yeah okay so this is to get a degree okay 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't have a degree. I had a diploma. Um, okay. But it was great because it was dance and musical theatre, but within the school you can specialise. You can go onto a dance track, a musical theatre track, or a more sort of straight acting track. And I went on to the dance track, which was amazing because we still got to do singing and acting and all these classes in between, but we were very dance focused. So we got mm. to do ballet classes at eight o'clock every morning, our point work, our partner work classes and heels classes. And it was such a comprehensive training. So I'm really, really grateful to have been able to go there. Had you ever partnered before? Because usually in a small school, there's no boys. I had never had because there were like no boys in my dance school at home and even if there were oh no actually we had one boy sorry we had one boy but being so tall you basically never get to partner right I I know like when I talk to the girls at work and stuff we all have these stories where you think oh I'm never gonna get to partner anybody because I'm so tall and then that's why it's so nice at Lido to be with like our tall tribe where we can just dance together and not have to feel like the tall one at the mic you know Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause that's, I, that story comes up a lot. Like I'm too tall to partner. And cause I, I never got to that. And then I did a show where we we're in the pot of seats and to be lifted. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm too big. Or I'm going to break the boy or, mm-hmm. and have the guys just like pop you up there and you feel little for the first time in your life. You feel light as opposed to like, Oh, I might, I might break them. Or I would be the boy trying to partner the girl. Cause I was a tall one. Like, okay, sure. You be one of the boys. So it like, when I watched the, the um, videos of the show, when I was there, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a dream come true for every ballet girl that never got to be lifted or partner. Cause there's, there's a lot of partner work in the show. Sure. Yeah. Which is great. It's so nice to be able to dance with a partner. Cause it's such a different feeling, different energy. And yeah, it's so nice to be able to do that. Cause yeah, as tall dancers, there's not a lot of opportunities for us to do that. How was it for you to get to leave your small town? I'm assuming it wasn't in your small town, right? Did you leave home? Uh, it was in London, my dance school. And I went there when I was 18. And you can go as, as young as 16, but my parents really wanted me to get my A-levels first, finish school. And I'm really glad that I did that because I think for me, 16 would have been a bit too young. Um, and yeah, at 18, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was great. So to get to experiencing all these different styles and also are you with people who was are, are as hungry for this as you too that are like because obviously you choose this you're going to work hard you're not taking it as just an extra thing in your schedule each week for sure yeah everybody at my dance school is very committed it was quite a strict dance school um so if we were late more than three times we'd be sent home um it was very yeah a lot of rules and it was great because there are a lot of dancers from really different backgrounds so some dancers who had done loads of street and commercial and never ever taken a ballet class and some people who were really balletic and had never done tap or lots of a mix of different people so I learned a lot from that um I was really lucky that my dance track we were all super supportive of each other because we took all our classes together we'd really encourage each other and we used to like when we were doing our corner work and stuff like that we used to stand at the side and cheer people on and go go on you can do it and when people did things well we always really boosted each other along and I think that really helped as well Mm. oh that's so good I think like sometimes in the ballet world people are so quiet and so you do something well it's just like silence or you know if there's competitiveness it's, you know, it's like, if you do well, you don't get any, you know, 
appreciation because like somebody else is jealous. Like when you hear that, like what it makes for a better dancer, I think too, because you also can work in companies and not be threatened by other people's talent. And you're going to be in this show eventually there there's everyone is amazing. Everyone is beautiful and everyone is tall. And if you, if you have that jealous streak, that doesn't, that's not going to go well. No. And you can learn so much from each other as well. I think that's such a valuable kind of resource to have. Yeah. Did you have advisors or did they have people kind of looking at what your skills were or asking what you wanted to do? Or was that kind of up to you to see what opportunities are out there in the world? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of up to you. A lot of people from my dance school went into musical theatre because it was quite prominently a musical theatre school. Um, But I just kind of always had my sights set on Paris and like a showgirl kind of life. And being so tall as well, like there wasn't actually many people in my dance school who were really tall. Um, So yeah, I kind of always just felt like that was my niche and where I wanted to go. So (laughs) So how did, because I see an Alelido poster behind you. And before we recorded, you told a little bit. So where, where did that come into view? Like that there is even a showgirl option, especially in a small town. Like, where did you come across that? Maybe I want to do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was probably when I went to dance school that I came across it. I'm not, I can't quite remember exactly how, but I used to have the Ale Lido poster on my wall at dance school, which now I have in a frame on my mantelpiece here. Um, and I also had the, um, the pink pom-pom costume, which I'd seen on the internet. And I just always really was like, wow, I, I have to have that costume. Or I just saw it and was like, that's definitely for me. Um, and yeah, we actually got to wear that costume at Lido a little while ago for a gala. And it was just amazing to wear the costume that you've looked at growing up and wished to wear. And yeah. Did you get a picture taken in it? I did. Oh, I did. That, seem, that seems, yeah, that just feels like a beautiful foreseeing into the future like I'm gonna do this so how how did you get to there like after you were done with school did you kind of have an idea how auditions worked or where to go or what was out there because you had the option of the internet that we didn't have back in the day yeah well my dance school was really good at encouraging us to audition so I actually auditioned for my first job whilst I was still at college um and that was for Jean and Ryan I got the job five weeks before I graduated they told me I'd got the contract and it was going to be a month after I graduated so wow sort of like graduate see my family and stuff and then I went off to Fort Lauderdale to start rehearsals for Jean Anne which was which was amazing was it was your Port Miami or what was your what was the itinerary so we did our rehearsals in Fort Lauderdale and then we flew from Fort Lauderdale to Copenhagen and we started there and I was so oh. itinerary because we did world cruise so we didn't really do any loops or repeats so we went um, like some of Europe down the Suez Canal we did India Africa and then we crossed over and did quite a bit of Asia as well so it was we were super super lucky um, for our itinerary how long was that contract it was eight months, I think. Yeah, eight month contract. So, how was the cruise eight months? No, was it several world? Like, what, how long would each cruise go out for? Yeah, so we basically, when we got on, we'd carry straight on. And then some people would get on shorter cruises and then some people would stay on longer. So, we had some guests that would be on for maybe six months at a time, just staying oh. on the time. And then other people getting on and off and on and off. So, 
yeah, it was really, really fun. Because I did the ships, I tell you, we had the small ships, but we had one show, but we did like a three-day cruise and a four-day cruise. So you're repeating it with different audiences. Mm. And then they gave us a Roaring Twenties, which was cruise staff. And I'm like, oh, I just, I love that we had another option besides the same show. And then they kind of do a revamp. So you, you know, take something out and put it in. But how many shows, because if you've got those people on there six months, you can't definitely be doing the same show over and over unless they want to memorize it and then eventually be in it with you. For sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we had four different shows. Um, We had one which was musicals, snippets from musicals. We had one which was an 80s show, quite cheesy and really fun, high energy. Uh, We had one which was a Borum and Latin show. And we had one which was like a Parisian um, style showgirl show which was amazing because we got to go um in the hoop do aerial and be on point and wear big plumes and that was really really fun show to be able to do on board and this that's fun as a dancer that mixed it up a little bit because each thing helps you grow as a dancer and as a performer and you nobody can see this because the podcast did you guys do this there was a thing that was called the jar it was a Jean Ann Ryan because she used to choreograph the shows when I came in there were some of her choreography that had she wasn't doing it she'd hire choreographers but there'd always be a gene and ryan move and i know people 10 years after me were doing it so i see no one else can see this but if anyone's listening was a gene and ryan dancer you probably know the jar there was a certain move that was in at least one of her things i think i would like put it in other combinations because it was just like so in my body did you have anything to do with gene or was she even involved much at this point yeah, we did. So when we were in our rehearsal period, she would come in occasionally to see how rehearsals were going. And when we'd learn a show, she'd come to watch the run through. So we'd be like, Jean-Anne's going to come now and watch the run through. So we'd get our hair in a French roll and get all our blacks on, ready to perform for Jean-Anne. And at the end of our rehearsal period, um, she invited us all for a party at her apartment, which was lovely, um, with her husband Howard as well. Yeah. It was sort of like a really nice send off before we went to get on the ship, which was was really nice to be in that kind of like jar family. Oh, I need to tag her in this because there's quite a few jar performers that end up at the Lido or in Vegas. And I, I remember it was her birthday and, and our very small cast, we got to go to her apartment. I just thought that seems very unique. You know, that's not like many producers that you have that. And yeah, it was. And I've heard a lot of people give her um, thanks for their showgirl experience because she really did foster that so then people go for auditions they're prepared if you've done a gene and ryan show you can walk you can have the presentation where you know a lot of shows don't have a lot of ship shows it's like going through the decades or going around the world you don't get to do the showgirl thing sure and there's not a lot of ships also well not when i was doing that contract anyway that took tall dancers it was really a lot of height limits and sometimes you just look auditions and you're like oh i'm too tall again (laughs) so it was really nice to actually have a cruise line that wanted tall girls yeah because I worked for there was I think four dancers I'm was five nine at the time I've shrunk half inch but the opposite my opposite was like five four and the other girls were like five I think she was like five two and five four I was a giant and then with my headpiece because those were low ceilings so it, was, it wasn't on the stage it was more like in front of the band <laughs> that I would almost it was just like I felt like an Amazon woman after being in like the bluebell shows where we're all tall I was like I've never felt this out of place but it was fun I'm glad that she hired me and it wasn't be, you know height restriction either way but oh, so then did you work with anybody who had worked at the Lido or done those kind of shows before that got you to Paris as far as like you, you learned so much from your castmates of who's good to work for and how to get in there and all that 
You do, yeah. So I there wasn't anyone from Lido on my ship, but there was two dancers who had been at Moulin Rouge and they were a couple at the time. Um, and it was actually the boy of that couple who said to me, oh, why don't you go and uh, audition for Nouvelev in Paris? And I was like, oh, I hadn't heard of it because it's a smaller cabaret. So uh, when I got off the ship, I went and auditioned for them, which was great. And as I was uh, waiting to hear back, I'd also auditioned for Benidorm Palace. And I was kind of waiting to hear back from both and I got offered the job at Nouvelev, but it wasn't until the April. So, cause it's, it's not all year round, it's between April and I think September or October. Mm. And I'd also then got a call from Benidorm Palace saying, we'd like to take you for a contract. And I said to them all, but um, I'm, I'm already going to Nouvelev in April. Like, I'm afraid otherwise I would love to. And they said, well, why don't you just come for three or four months in between? So I oh. just struck luck. I think they needed someone as a replacement and I just completely struck luck. So I flew out almost straight away to go to Benidorm and start the show there. And um, yeah, it was really lucky that I got to do a bit of both. <laughs> can, you t- can you tell about that show? Um, yeah so Benidorm Palace when I went there I didn't really know what the show was going to be like because I hadn't really heard that much about it but when I got there I was so taken aback because the theatre is amazing it's absolutely huge the stage is huge and they've got amazing costumes big plumes feathers and it's really it was a really fun show and it's cool because they had the international line um, so like the showgirls and then they had the Spanish line as well so we got to learn some of the flamenco and have the fans and all that oh. part was so fun as well so it was really yeah it was a really fun show we got to do a lot of styles and I really 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 enjoyed it. So you got off the ship and went right to the next job and then your other one was waiting for you see that's such a wonderful thing you don't have to do the starving artist thing I mean auditions are so good but also when you're you know in between jobs and nothing's coming up or they don't line up with contracts it's when you get that that nice role going on that's amazing yeah I've been very very lucky lucky on that front so what was so the the nouveau love was ready for you can you tell about that show because I've heard a few people talk about and I never knew it existed and so now when I go back to Paris whatever still is remaining after COVID I want to go see everything I want to see every and then there's so many right right in Paris and then like Strasbourg I had no idea about the uh, palace I forgot what that one's called the palace royal palace yeah. royal palace like I wish I had known that was there so I'm going to make sure I hit all those up because I think that they're all a little bit different and for dancers it's wonderful to have some options definitely and actually royal palace and Benidorm palace is run by the same production company so oh. they share a lot of costumes and I think they have the same choreographer sometimes too. So that was that was really cool to be able to do that job. And then, yeah, I came to Nouvelle, which was amazing because I was like, yes, this is Paris. It's where I want to be. I'm like aiming towards the Lido. <laughs> and I just was, I was really desperate to do the can-can. I, I don't know what it was. I just had it in me. I was like, I just want to do that. Yeah. Um, the Nouvelle, they've got a very long can-can. I think it's maybe like 11 minutes long. It's really <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> and I remember watching the show and being like, yes, I want to do that. Um, so I auditioned for there and I got given a contract, which was amazing. It's six months, um, so it's not all year round. And I had such a fun cast and we just basically 
did our two shows a night for our six months and had such a great time. It's a very high energy show. It's very, very fun. It's very, very intense. And it's, yeah. it's quite like, uh, it's been the same show, I think, for quite a while. So it's very um, sort of of its time, but I just love it. It's really, it reminds me of like Paris Cabaret. Yeah. It's yeah. Really yeah, when you come over, you'll have to watch it. It's a very fun evening out to go and watch the show. So then you, were you, when you were in Paris, did you go see the Lido show and, and cast members? I think I've heard there's a lot of overlap, like Moulin Rouge and Lido. People know each other and they go see each other's show. Then you kind of can see, oh, I want to do this show next. Did you have any connection with the Lido dancers? I didn't actually know any of the dancers at the Lido then. When I came to Paris, I didn't know anybody. I just came completely alone. <laughs> yeah. And I remember in our rehearsals, the first week of our rehearsals for New for Life, we went to watch the show at the Lido. And I was just like, wow. Because by this point, it was the new show, Paris Merveille. And it was really quite new at that moment. And I just remember watching and being like, wow, this is like cabaret, but on a new level. It was like, modern but still classic and it had so many elements to the show and I was just yeah I really was like that's where I'm aiming <laughs> that's where you're aiming how did you do um coming into Paris all by yourself like you get to meet people in the show but is that hard for you because I think for some people they don't do these jobs because just the thought of leaving home or moving to a big city and not knowing the language for a lot of people can be intimidating but how was that for you to make that jump right into the middle of Paris yeah I mean when I started at Nouvelle I was lucky because they take a whole pretty much a whole new cast every season so everyone sort of starts together and they're all in it you're all in it together so we very much did a lot of things as a cast but then when Nouvelle finished and I went on to my next contract everybody just left <laughs> so all the lovely <sighs> friends I'd made kind of left Paris and I was just like Oh, bye. Bye then, guys. <laughs> are all the shows like that where it's very international? Because there's not that, I don't know how many French girls are in any of them, but it, I think like the Moulin Rouge is international. Nouvelle Lève is also like people come from other places mm -hmm. to work in Paris. I think so, yeah. I think Paris, it just has that pull. Like it's really the only place where you have this Parisian cabaret showgirl life. And I just think for people who want to do that, this is really the epicenter and it kind of just pulls all these different nationalities in, which makes this amazing like melting pot of talent, which is which is so special. Mm. So how how did you go about getting the audition? Did they have did they announce it, or did you call for a private? Or like I know once in a while they'll do a mass audition if there's much turnover. But once the show's going, it's I don't know how much turnover there is, but it's, I think it's far and few. Like you have to really time that right and just right for what they need at that moment. So I actually auditioned for the Lido four times. <laughs> I love those stories. Yeah. So my first one, I was still at dance school and I was super, super young. Um, but I was like, you know what, I've got to gotta go. So I went to the audition. Um, and yeah, I, I auditioned quite a few times and I'd always get down to the end. Um, but I think I just wasn't ready. And I'm actually really glad that I went when I did because it gave me the opportunity to work in other places and to get those experiences before I went there. And yeah, I think that's really enriching experience. And um, I, yeah, one of my auditions, I did a private and I remember Jane saying, um, Jane the ballet mistress saying, oh, we, we really like you, but you're, you're a bit young, you know, your, your performance quality is a bit, um, 
I guess I was just so like enthusiastic. I, I've always been like a super high energy dancer. And I think maybe I was just super excited. And I don't know, I think coming back later, my performance had matured a bit. My, uh, probably my appearance had become a little bit more womanly and less baby faced and young. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really glad. So when I went for the audition, when I got the job, I was working in the circus in Paris. And I think, I, cause I'd been quite a few times when I came to the audition and I gave in my, my headshot and my CV to get my number. Um, Kate, the assistant ballet mistress then, she said, oh, oh hi Joe, we know you. And I was like, okay, this time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that like young, you know, like it could be the baby face. I think there's a couple, couple other girls I talked to in the current show that were told that they, but they also said emotionally, um, I don't want to say sight. I'm not even sure. There's something of an energy where you are not performing. You just embody. I'm actually teaching a class coming up, a workshop on, I'm calling it embodied goddess because I think for some girls be sexy. So you're like, Oh, this must be what sexy is. So this is what I've seen, or I do this or, but there's something of maturity of like, it's your own sensuality. Cause I just, you know, like be sad, be happy as a dancer, put on this thing. You're now you're, you know, in Greece and you're in the fifties and you just know how to switch it over, but to actually find your own because cabaret, you don't get to rely on the storyline like musical theater. And it is, I see a lot of beautiful young dancers and they can turn and, you know, out dance people in some ways, but until they're, they're mature. And a lot of it is just life living by, you know, moving to a new city and, and the performance experience. But I think there is something of, you see a difference in someone's just essence that it's like, yeah, you put makeup on a young person, they can probably outdance some other people, but until, yeah, because yeah, there's some, it's very womanly in that show. There's, oh gosh, the thing with the jackets and the tango and the, even the ballet, it's like, there's something very womanly in such a beautiful way in that show. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think kind of in musical theater, often you're playing a character, so you're kind of acting. And the thing that's super nice about cabaret is obviously we're performing, but I feel like a lot of it is you the performance is is you so yeah like you were just saying when you go and watch the Lido you're really watching women like they look womanly and sensual and feminine and I think you need like a kind of certain level of experience in your life to kind of get yeah. to that point um which as a young girl I kind of just didn't have but I'm super grateful actually that I I went when I did and I got to do those other things first and really sort of hone my hone my talent and my skill first yeah well then good like jane the people that that know to wait because you know there could be things like we just got to fill a spot like don't and that will be right when it's right and then when you are really right you'll you'll probably feel really good going into the show with like i know who i am more for sure yeah i think when i got the job leader it was it was the right timing so did you ever have a gap in between those except for time to just kind of repack and go again have you worked constant? Yeah, so when I came to Paris, I was in the Nouvelle Eleven. I went straight from that into the Cirque de Verre. Um, so my contracts there actually overlapped. So I was going to the circus in the daytime to learn the show. And then I was going to the Nouvelle Eleven in the night to do the show there. Oh. And I'm just like eating on the Metro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I've been really, really lucky. And then I did my lead audition when I was just in the end of my contract at the circus. Um, and when Jane called me up to um, offer me the job, I was getting ready in the morning at the circus because sometimes in the circus we did three or four shows a day. So sometimes we'd be there early in the morning. 
and she rang me when I was in the lodge putting my makeup on to do the early morning show and I just remember when I hung the phone up, phone up just screaming I think ah, <laughs> oh oh my gosh there is something of good things come to those that wait that you know there's things that you get and it's like yes it gives you the confidence to do the next but some of those things if you got them too soon mm. it's just yeah I think that's like the timing sounds wonderful can you tell a little bit about the circus because I was intrigued by that too yeah, so this year you've such a great eclectic dance career uh, the circus is very very fun um so it's in a big circus building in Paris it's not a tent it's actually like a proper marble building and it's a super super old building I think it's one of the oldest in Paris and so they have the circus there over the winter period and yeah it's basically a circus of different artists but they have a dance troupe called Salto Dancers who open and close the show and kind of do all the transitions in between. Um, so it's a really fun show. It's very different to other shows that I've done, um, often because we're dancing on a circus ring. So it's kind of that weird spongy material. And sometimes we're dancing on the border piece. So it's on an angle and we're in our heels sort of jumping oh. down the border piece. <laughs> um, but it's really good fun. And like I said before, you sometimes have early morning shows or lots of shows in a day and it's 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 quite hard work but it's really really good fun and to also get to meet all these different artists and different acts it's really yeah really really fun and I just love like you went from ballet and then your experience at musical theater at school like all those things add and make you a better performer and then you're exposed to different options but also different type of performers like if you're only around showgirls, if you're only around ballerinas, if you're only around musical theater, it's, it can be limiting. So you're just acquiring all this. So when you get to the Lido, do you feel like, hey, I've made it? This was my lifelong goal? Yeah. So when I went for that last Lido audition, I just went in with the mindset. I think because I'd been working in Paris for a little bit, I felt comfortable here. I kind of, I had my apartment here and I was kind of like, okay. I think I'm right for this job. I really want to do it. And I just need to go in there and show them I can. And I really just went in with that mind frame and tried to just block out the nerves and go, okay, I've been here in Paris. I can do this. I just have to show them what I can do. And yeah, that, that was the last time. So <laughs> well, I've heard those auditions are really hard and really long and really exhausting. Did they tell you the day of? Did they offer you a contract or did you have to wait? So on the day of, they uh, we waited for them to talk to us, measure us and everything. And they said, oh, we really like you, but we don't have a space at the moment. So um, we're going to ring you up when, when something's available. And of course, at the end of that, you feel really proud of yourself. But you also think like, oh, but maybe I don't have the job, you know. Um, and then I was actually really lucky. Jane rang me, I think, about a week later to say, oh, a spot's come up and we'd really like you to take it, which was amazing. And I ended up finishing at the circus and then I think I had two days and then I went into rehearsals. For oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, did you, were you the only replacement that came in? Yeah. So you just sorry. took one person's spot. So you're doing all the private and how yeah, was sorry. that being put into the show? Like, Yeah, actually, I think because of all the other jobs I'd done, especially like Bernard on Palace and those jobs, we we learned the show very quick and we got put in very quick. Mm. Um, So I kind of felt very prepared by the time I went into the show. I was feeling like really ready to go, really ready to be on the stage. And I had Vic as my captain, who's just a wonderful teacher and really made sure that I was comfortable with everything. And 
and everyone in the cast even though I'd started alone everybody was just super welcoming and in the lodge just making sure that I was all right and really making me feel welcome so I was just lucky to come into such a wonderful cast. That's so good did you or did you go in as a I think I know the name there's Bluebell there's still Bluebell, Tall Nude, Sublime and Bells is that the We've got Bluebell, Bells, and Sublimes, and the boys. And the boys, okay. What did you go in as? So I came in as Bluebell. Okay. Yeah. Are you still Bluebell? I'm still a Bluebell, yeah. I'm now um, a Bluebell swing. So I don't have a spot in the show. I swing all 12 tracks, which is amazing. And I just love it. Um, and I'm also a replacement captain, which has been really cool to, to do that a little bit too. <gasps> Does any, do people have a choice not to swing? Because I feel like everyone I've interviewed, they swing. Yeah, do they so, do that to keep it fresh for you? Or if it's like they see something in you, offer or people, everyone's going to swing, like it or not? Yeah, no, not, not everyone swings. There's some people who don't, who don't want to swing, I don't think. And um, yeah, just I think if they see that you um, like learning new things and like to switch around you're a fast learner they might ask you to swing and so I started swinging just a few little bits and then I started swinging um as a replacement swing I guess um and then when an opportunity came up to not have a spot in the show anymore and just to swing every night they asked me if, I, if I'd like to do that and I was like yes, yes oh my well it probably keeps people around longer because you don't get bored you're going to keep your brain always fresh yeah that's it's a what yeah I wish I had known like when I was in the show I did the same track for a year straight and then until my last show you could swing somebody with whoever's replacing you goes into your spot and then you could swing like more of the acting or the you know not really dance like you're gonna be a clown for this one if you want to do it just to see what's it like on the other side of the stage because you know it really is like it's so in your body that you could do it in your sleep but that's I love that with the swing is you've got to be on it yeah, it's great. And it's great because it's different every night. And also for your body as well, it means that you're not always kicking on the same side or standing in the same bevel on the same leg. Or And yeah, it keeps it fresh. Sometimes if the re-block is, is a really big re-block, you might end up being more than one track in one number. And that's really fun, sort of chop and change mm. between tracks during a number. It's, yeah, I really, really, really enjoy it. Well, and then I would love to talk about the galas too, because that's one thing I just hear. There's so many things that, that you guys can do that are outs that Lido has, you know, around the city or even traveling and opportunities to do something different. So are the galas like a, a once in a while thing or a regular thing? Yeah, so galas kind of crop up now and again. Um, I've been super lucky to do some amazing galas with Lido. Um, my first one, it was quite soon actually after I started, we went to Cannes to dance at the film festival, which was oh. amazing. It was so much fun. Um, and yeah, where else we've been? We've been to um, Poland, to Warsaw, to the French Touch Gala was really cool. And yeah, we have quite a few um, events in Paris too. So it's really fun. It's great to sort of go see somewhere new or put on different costumes, put on the old costumes and do, do some different bits and bobs is, is always really fun. Do they just take a few people and then someone swings your part or is it, do you guys have a dark night or is there always a swing in the show's seven nights? Yeah, the show's seven nights. So there's always a swing um, for your spot. And so, yeah, they just take a, a small group of people and then they're covered um, in the show that night. Wow. Wow. So you said something about getting to wear that pink pom-pom 
thing that, that was that lured you in because I see these pictures of the young cast wearing costumes like no I don't that I realize it's not from their show but I'm like what a wonderful thing because we were talking about the tags can you tell about that like mm-hmm. when you try it on they would mark if people don't dance that listen to this like you're you're just a little tag so you have your name inside so you know it's yours mm-hmm. and then yeah, the next cast when you get to wear like the old costumes from the shows the really big feathers and stuff and when you try them on sometimes you see the tag of girls that you know who have been there previously and it's really special it kind of makes you feel like part of this big legacy and to wear the costumes that they wore it's yeah it's just it's really amazing I'm thinking at the reunion how special that was we can talk about that a little bit but just there's people in the audience that would they you weren't wearing their costumes at the show but to know like oh that lady right there was like the lead for so I'm wearing her costume and then that you some that's just so fun to be on the other side like she's wearing something that I wore and just see that it keeps going it's amazing I actually at the reunion at the party after I spoke to a lady and her name's just escaped my mind but we're talking about down in the lodge and it it transpired that I sit in the same spot in the lodge where she sat before and I was just like this is so cool like we really are part of this amazing legacy and yeah, I think there's there's not lots of jobs that have this kind of history and it's just amazing to be a part of that. Wow. So how, how was the reunion? Because I, I, I think I always go back to that because what inspired me to do this is hearing all the stories, but I just, uh, like you guys get ready. You have, I know that Johnny Depp has been in the audience. I know you guys have celebrities come through. You probably have, did they come and tell you, you know, this is, these people are in the audience. I knew you guys knew that we were there because I've talked to a few other people. It wasn't like, who are these loud ladies, <laughs> men in the audience? Oh, the reunion was amazing. I mean, we knew that it, the audience was going to be all Bluebells and Lido boys. Um, but I don't think we were expecting the reaction and the feel that we got when we came down the stairs. Because in the show, it's the Bluebells who come down the stairs first. So we really got that first, like, oh. energy, that wave. And it was really, really emotional, actually. It was quite overwhelming because it was just like, kind of like a homecoming. All these people who had been bluebells in the past, like coming home. It was just, yeah, really, really emotional evening. And it was so nice as well afterwards that we could do the picture and have the party afterwards to sort of share stories and hear people's experiences. It's, it's really, really special. I was so impressed that there were so many, I think probably most of you were out there because if you're tired, you've done a show like, okay, we'll go make our presence known and then we're going to go home. But the, the dancing was going on and I just saw so many of the cast members out there with everybody. I'm like, this is really beautiful. This says something of just like, I want to hang out with these people, like both ends of it. Like we wanted to, to see you guys in your full glory with your, cause I was on the stairs for one of the pictures. There's one that, the, you know, that we're stacked on the stairs and it goes all the way out. And I'm next to, two girls with a bouquet thing that would turn towards me and like you'd get a flower like we're just like oh my gosh it's so fun I've got my friend that I worked with right in front of me and then this other woman I've never met who's 80 and I've got this 20 year old beautiful girl in full makeup next to me it was just like I had to take a moment just to oh my gosh just like pull this in right now this is such a wonderful thing that's happening right now history and the new and that this just keeps going because you know there's so many things that have closed that makes it really sad. Like Vegas doesn't have anything. So to see this alive and well in such a beautiful show is like, okay, it lives on. Yeah, it's amazing. And it, it was really nice as well to know, like when we were standing all for the picture that everyone on that stage knows how it feels to stand on that stage and to perform for an audience and like how special that is because 
it's not a job that we get to do for our whole life so yeah you enjoy every moment you have because it's not you know it's not everlasting <laughs> so yeah it's really cool to kind of know everybody there knew that experience you know mm. how long were you in the show before covid shut down um so i was in the co in the in the COVID, in the show um <laughs> just under four years before COVID actually maybe three years something like that yeah and now we've had a year of COVID um, which is longer than I think any of us thought it would be yeah um, and it's been actually it's been really hard to be away because we're so I think uh, being a dancer and being on stage and being at Lido it's it's so part of your identity that when you stop it feels really strange you know because it's not just our job it's part of who you are it's part of yeah day and and I think we kind of need that almost um so yeah it's been really really strange to stop <laughs> just bang yeah well I've heard people say at the beginning how it was told like well just go get another job you know with the art with arts in any fashion it's like well just just switch your job and like that's heartbreaking to a performer especially when you know this career is short like yeah. no I worked so hard to get here and this this is not when I'm done and then just like you said, the identity, it's not like just a career shift. Like, I'm going to go do this now. Like that heartbreak and there was no preparation. How long were you before your contract would have been done? Like, cause some people were close to it and they were deciding if they were going to stay. Yeah. Were I you really, going to be there? I have a permanent contract um, at Lido. So I'm super, super lucky. Um, cause I've still got quite a few years left in me yet. So I'm really, really looking forward to going back. Uh, cause I just, I've heard the different takes on that too. It's like, this thing is coming but not knowing how serious it was and then these decisions are made to close the show and if you're not from Paris what do you do like what was your your I'm just thinking the mindset too like this is scary like we're hearing this thing is coming like you know is it going to be the night of the living dead like and getting home am I staying in Paris with my family and will I ever dance I mean I just feel like that must have been overwhelming to make these big choices in the middle of all this yeah, it was quite a shock. I mean, when COVID first hit, I went home to the UK to be with my family just because I didn't want to be stuck in my Paris apartment with my dog, just mm. seeing nobody for however long it was going to be. We didn't we didn't really know. But I think it didn't really hit me until a few weeks after we'd stopped that, like, we'd, we'd really stopped. You know, we weren't going back after a holiday or we were just sort of waiting until we could return. So... Yeah, it was, it was quite strange. <laughs> wow. So did you leave your apartment there and you're still paying rent? Because that's like when people left or they haven't been there for a year and they still have their apartment. I did. I had actually, I'd actually moved apartments just before COVID. And um, so I'd given my old one up. I'd moved into this one, but I hadn't actually finished unpacking or anything because um, we've been at Lido quite a bit and I just hadn't had time to unpack so when I came back to Paris I still hadn't unpacked from moving house I still had all my boxes and everything um so that was kind of weird I'd had this apartment for probably six or seven months and not really lived in it at all um but wow. yeah, apartment here, so. what made you decide to come back to Paris I think uh I think it just I'd been a long time in the UK and I kind of was feeling a bit like my Paris life felt very far away. It was lovely to be able to spend time with my family and like that was really super valuable um, because I think you have to look at those positive points. Mm -hmm. But my Paris life was feeling really far and I just, 
it was at a time where COVID was at a state where France wasn't locked down, the UK wasn't locked down, so I could travel between quite easily and come back. And yeah, I just kind of wanted to be in my apartment again and, you know, with my life that I've kind of made for myself here. So, Are you guys staying in touch? Like, are people calling or have people kind of gone into their own shell? <laughs> yeah, we are. It's quite difficult because it's kind of balancing between like seeing people enough so that mentally you feel well and good um but also like not seeing too many people that you're worried about spreading or catching covid yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quite, quite a balance but we've been like meeting outside for a takeaway coffee or a walk or which has been nice and lots of um lots of zoom calls um, mm. to have have the internet and stuff so we can do that but yeah it's been it's been strange to navigate definitely yeah well, then I was looking through your pictures and I saw all the flowers. So I was asking you before we recorded. So I would love to hear that because there's no expectation that everybody's supposed to be creating new businesses and learning French and writing their book because their people are dealing with this all different ways. And I feel like when people hear that people are getting super motivated, like, well, now I feel like a bum because I really just want to cry and watch Netflix. <laughs> it's like, there's got to be space for everything, but like what what got you with the flowers before COVID? And then I'm just so curious because they're, they're beautiful photos. And I hope we share those with when your episode comes out. Cause I was like, Oh, this is a part of her life. It's definitely not the dance world. Yeah. So I started, um, I took a one day flower course a few years ago now, just on a day off, just to see if I liked it really. I've always, everything in my apartment's flower print. I love wearing floral print. I, I've always really enjoyed florals. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe this is something I'm gonna enjoy, um, but I need to kind of go and try it and see. So I did this one day course. And when I started making the arrangements, I was just like, oh, I love this, it's great. It's really calming. It felt really nice um, to just create something. Um, and with the flowers, you know, it's a beautiful product. So I really enjoyed it. And I started just doing floral design sort of in my free time outside of work. as sort of as something kind of for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and then during the pandemic, I, uh, I'm, I like to be doing stuff. I like to be busy. And I was like, okay, this is a good time for me to sort of take that further. So I managed to go on um, a course at flower school called Tallulah Rose which was amazing um, with five other girls and yeah we learned so so much stuff um, and from there I set up my own floral business which is called Posy and Plume and I took that name um, because Posy of course is like a small bunch of flowers and it's also a nickname my dad called me when I was a child and the oh. plume is to like draw in the showgirl element of my life so um, my logo it's a flower and a golden feather a plume so really like trying to draw those two parts of my life together oh my gosh that is so beautiful okay we will definitely if you want to share some and we'll share like how to find you are you doing this all in your house are you are you able to do stuff with covid because mm. i don't know people are having flowers delivered like how do what does your service actually offer yeah so i really when i started i really wanted to do wedding flowers but obviously there's not very many people getting married at the moment um and lots of people have been wanting to have bouquet delivery so i've been doing um, bouquet deliveries which has been great because you can do them contact free leave them on people's doorsteps and stuff so yeah i'm just working out at home i have my flower deliveries and i get everything in i condition them 
I made a couple of the bouquets, I wrapped them. And then basically at the moment, I just deliver them myself. Or sometimes my boyfriend gets dragged into delivering them with me. So we sort of just track around with our big boxes of flowers delivering. Oh my gosh, that's probably a good sales thing right there. Like, wait, you're out in public with flowers, people can see what you make. And you were saying about eco-friendly too, like the, the stuff that we used to use, the foam and the things that are don't, yeah. don't degrade. Yeah, so the flower school that I went to, I particularly liked the course there because um, they focus on eco-friendly floristry, so not using floral foam anymore. Um, so if anyone doesn't know what floral foam is, it's like a foamy brick that you put stems into, but it's essentially made of plastic. And even when it sort of breaks down into the water, the plastic particles still remain in the water and never really go. And before we had floral foam, people were making all these things with other methods. So it was kind of just sort of going back to that, but then seeing how we can take it further. Um, and there's a real movement for it at the moment as well. Um, which is great because it's not necessary. We don't need to do it. So yeah, I've been learning how to do everything eco-friendly. There's just, I love the name of it. You didn't tell me that before. We, but I love that. Like there's this whole thing of still creating beauty. And that has shown up with a lot of people that I've interviewed, especially the new cast, like in the midst of this, they're creating businesses, but they're creating beauty. And I think it shows up a lot of times in my mind is it's, it feels defiant when there's so much of this weight Everybody just wait. But when you create something that is life, especially like flowers or living, it feels yeah. like life is still going on. We're still creating beauty. Maybe we can't be on the stage. Mm -hmm. And I shared with you that it made me a little emotional, even more hearing like you're with a feather in there, because when I moved to Vegas, I knew I wanted to be a dancer. No idea. You know, I had to figure out where the auditions, but my first job was at a flower shop, which was the MGM, which then became Bally's. But I would, I don't know if I knew anything about flowers, which is really sad that they hired me because <laughs> I would just kind of learn like how to, you know, here's how you put it together without really much knowing. I think I would try to copy, copy, or there's a book you would mimic. And I would do flowers for Cher. Her drummer would come and have flowers. So I'd be like, oh my gosh, these flowers are going to touch Cher or she's going to touch them and some of the celebrities, but I would deliver flowers backstage for some of the dancers. At, um, that was Hallelujah Hollywood at the time which I was saying to you, I don't think that people can just walk backstage nowadays. I think security would have like <laughs> taken them out before that. But I just remember, I think they were on, it was maybe before the show or, or they weren't back there. They were either on stage or the show hadn't started. And I remember walking in the dressing room, probably more longer than I should have been. But I was like, I put the flowers. I think, I don't even remember how that worked. I just remember going backstage and seeing the dressing rooms with the costumes and going, I want to do this more than anything. And then I ended up getting hired soon after that for the MGM and Reno. But there is something of that circle because I'm going back and doing a road show. So a road show, a road trip with another dancer. And we're going back to that hotel to get, see if we can get on stage. But I want to go see that flower shop, shop, which is probably gone because they've probably taken things out and then they had the fire. But I just want to know where it was because I feel like that was my start as my showgirl dance career was like working there and like being able to pay my rent and wait to audition. So you're now in a pause from your dance career at the other side of it. But the flower thing is, it's just... Yeah, because I just got emotional. I'm like, there's just something beautiful of, of creating beauty and having a say. And like, I'm going to keep making wonderful things and making people happy with it. Exactly. And I think that's one of the nicest things about floristry. When you give someone a bouquet, it, their face just lights up. It's kind, of the, it's kind of like, it's not the same feeling, but when you look out into the audience and you see people really enjoying the show, it's just so nice to feel like, 
they're really enjoying something and so the flowers is great and also like when people send a bouquet to see the messages that people are writing to each other at the moment it's really really uplifting oh and you guys are bouquets in the finale that's, that's... <laughs> flowers made of feathers so what more could you want oh my gosh that's so good um i forget where my brain it just went away for a little bit but as we wrap up Oh, wait, no, I want to go back to something else because there's something that's really beautiful things being created in the pandemic because like, there's just never enough time. Like you said, you had, didn't even have time to unpack. So if you wanted to do this with, with floristry, you could not have done it for how busy you were, but now mm. it, it, could it be up and running so that when you're back in the show, you can do both and you could decide how much you want to do and when. Exactly. Yeah. So that was my aim to sort of set things up so that when I go back to the show, I can carry on doing it in the daytimes when we're not at work or we're not rehearsing. And then eventually when I stop dancing, I can hopefully transition kind of seamlessly into doing that, which is really lucky because a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So yeah. Then you have all these entrepreneurs in the show. So backstage, you guys can like, you know, you have a different thing to talk about, like starting a new business and balancing that with being in the show like there's some camaraderie and like some wow you all if you're starting at the same time you also understand like upstart of how hard that is how beautiful and sometimes you need a little encouragement to keep going for sure and it's really cool everyone's doing their own different projects and to see them grow and sometimes even maybe cross over with different projects is so cool and yeah, it's yeah. Really to see other people's projects grow it's really cool wow so as we're wrapping up you, you'd said at the beginning, like you had this, this vision of being like, you called it showgirl life or Paris showgirl life. Mm. What did you, what did, cause what does that mean? Cause I have some people listening that like, I didn't even know that this was something I could do. And it's not just a show, but it's being in Paris. But what, when you pictured it, when you were younger, what yeah. was it? And what is it like the fact that you wanted to come back and be in Paris and not in the UK to have your Paris life, That's your showgirl life? I think it's like, in terms of the job, you know, it's like the being on the stage, the feathers, the sequins, the makeup. And it was also like for me, I really wanted to do that to show a week, to show a night week and like sort of live in the night and work in the evening. And I don't know, just everything about it. I just really wanted that lifestyle. And it's been amazing. I think it's, it's a life that not not many people get to experience and there's so many people who would love to do what we do and it's just really important to always um enjoy it and not take it for granted so mm. it feels like you didn't um glamorize it like beyond what it was you actually imagine it big enough that what really was because sometimes people get to where they you know they had romanticized something and get there and go this is really hard this is hard work but you won two shows a night and like you wanted to work hard so it's not like oh i want the fluffy stuff without the hard work yeah i think Maybe that was instilled in me from my dance school because we, they did push us really hard there. Like they, um, they kind of prepared us really well. They taught us a lot about um, uh, pickup speed. So to pick stuff up really quickly and um, performance. And we were really pushed quite hard there. And it really made me just want to work hard. Um, which, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just always wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's that glamour and beauty and that is, yeah, it's a very unique world and the, you know, the opportunities just to travel and get to do things that 
if you're not a dancer, because a lot of people, they work super, super, super hard. So they go on a vacation and see the places that you get to go. I got to go on a ship that we just get to go. Yeah, and it's an amazing lifestyle that you can't really, I can't imagine really doing it with any other job. Um, but I think it's like really important as well. Like you work so hard in your career as a dancer to get to the place where you want to be. And then some people might get there and forget to enjoy it. I think it's really important when you're there to remember to enjoy it. Yeah, that's a, the thing when I talk to the d- dancers my age and older, like we just weren't, we didn't grasp it the same way. Like I think some people did, but like I was, but what's next? And then I think now, like I, I want to be on the stage and feel that one more time. So I can kind of imagine it. Like if we could go back with the appreciation, I think that a lot of you already have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I knew it was wonderful, but it just also didn't feel like that ever was going to end because there was a bazillion shows that you could choose from and it was just jump from one to the other. But going back and seeing you guys live that, and it, it also kind of helps us go, oh yeah, it really was magical. And yeah. we really were fortunate to get to do it. And yeah, we're happy that you are doing it now. So there's cheerleading on both sides like I like that that the younger people have some um respect and honor for what came before and that the ones that did it before are just like cheering you guys on yeah we're so lucky to have this like community yeah I don't actually um I don't know if you've listened to just going back talking about like the history of Lido but um when I was younger and I was looking into the Lido and like researching I listened to a podcast called Desert Island Discs. It's a really famous radio show in the UK. Um, and they actually interviewed Miss Bluebell on the podcast, on the show, which is now a podcast. Um, and if you want to search for it, I think you have to put Margaret Kelly, not Miss Bluebell, but it's an amazing interview with her. And the way she talks about the girls, just, well, what was present then and past, it was really touching and it really like, made huh. we were talking before about being part of a legacy really sort of made you feel that it's a really really good thing to listen to because there's a bbc one that's gone around i wonder if if mm. that's where or this is something i'm gonna look this up because i think like when i go to vegas we're go, there's bluebells um i think it's her scrapbooks there's don arden stuff that's now archived at university of las vegas <coughs> excuse me but like i want to go in the costume museum amazing and the marquees in Vegas of all the, the hotels that have got that have been imploded, but they saved the signs. <clears throat> so it just feels it's great that this history is not in a dumpster somewhere, you know, that there's still costumes that are intact and, and preserved and the stories are coming out. So yeah, thank you for being a part of that legacy. So yeah, is this the next generation that you're gonna be part of that, that we keep passing it down and encouraging what's next? Hopefully it will continue for a long time. Yeah. And if, and it's like, we have to like, I think this has showed us appreciate it when it's now, because there's no guarantee. I mean, it was heartbreaking, but it is like, wow, while we have this, let's savor. Absolutely. And you're probably <coughs> to do that to sort of keep us all in touch with the past, the present and what's coming to, which is really, really yeah. fun. Yeah. Cause there's people, there's a lot of people like I've talked to like Christopher and Hillary and Michael, like this vision for what can be, like there always has to be some forward thinkers, but also like the people that are looking back so that we don't just dump everything that mattered and, mm. and throw it away. But I, I, I'm really inspired by, by the visionaries of what, what can come next. So, so Joe, thank you so much for this. This is delightful. And so can you say again what the name of your, your um, flower business is? Yeah. So it's Posey and Plume um, and we've got a website you can find 
on Instagram as well. I can give you the um, the link afterwards. Yeah, we'll put that in, in the notes. So thank you. And I, I my whole goal is when thing are, things are as normal as they can possibly be that's safe to travel, that I will be at the show. And I've been just telling her, but I'm going to be obnoxious. I'm going to be so probably yelling and embarrassing everyone because I'll be so happy to see you. And I want to come back and see everybody in, in person because I think it's going to make the show just more glorious that I can like... I've heard her story and his story and her story and they're amazing people. And yeah, I'm excited to see you guys get back on the stage. So when, as soon as it is, I hope there's footage that we can all celebrate around the world when, when you guys get back on that stage. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. And I hope somebody orders flowers from you for everybody. So let's put the bug in their ear. Like, okay, when the show opens, everybody buy the flowers from Joe and deliver them on stage. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then that's going to sink in their head. Okay. So be well. So good to talk to you. And until I see you in Paris, 